Why do I read? Why do I have conversations? Why do I travel? Why do I have to go to school? Why do I pay attention? Why do I pay attention? Because I want to be amused. Because I want to get outside my comfort zone. But mostly. 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 Mostly because. Because I want to find, find out, out stuff. stuff. Find out stuff. Find out stuff. <laughs> because I want you to tell, tell me, me something, something I, I don't know. know. Did you know, for instance, why the NBA star Jeremy Lin had such a hard time breaking into the NBA? Nobody in the NBA saw it. He went undrafted. Kind of the rap on him had always been that he wasn't athletic. Lin spent a couple years on the NBA periphery, and then the New York Knicks, in desperation mode as usual, finally gave him a chance. A chance which turned into Linsanity. Watch this. Slicing, dicing right there. Swooping, hooping. And the crowd on their feet fan homage to this man. But even it looks like his teammates don't believe what they're seeing. <laughs> Countless basketball experts had made the retroactively stupid decision to write off Jeremy Lin. Why didn't they see his ability? Michael Lewis, author of Moneyball and The Undoing Project, thinks he knows why. The reason that nobody saw this was simply that he was Asian. And people have a stereotype in their heads of an athletic NBA player, and it does not include Asianness. And as it turned out, when he finally kind of squeaked into the NBA and was tested, Jeremy Lin was unbelievably athletic. They put sensors on him and measured how quick his first two steps were, or how quickly he came off the floor, or how high he jumped. When they actually measured his athleticism, he was off the charts. Welcome to Tell Me Something I Don't Know. I'm Stephen Dubner, and the theme... Tonight's show, Stupid Stuff. Tell Me Something I Don't Know is a podcast wrapped in a game show that's wrapped in live journalism where contestants try to wow us with their IDKs, their I don't know. To judge these IDKs, we put together a panel of decidedly not stupid people. Would you please welcome the entrepreneur and author James Altucher, the entrepreneur and renaissance lady Mickey Agrawal, and the comedian and writer Asif Manvi. So grateful to have the three of you with us tonight. Let's start with our good friend, James Altucher. What do we know so far about James? We know you have started and nurtured many companies, written many books, including Choose Yourself and Reinvent Yourself. We know you make a weekly podcast, The James Altucher Show, and that you used to make a daily podcast, Question of the Day, with yours truly. Should we sing a little Peaches and Herb? Do you remember Peaches and Herb? No. You serious? Reunited and it feels so good. Yeah, good. Reunited because it understood that breakup we had has made me lonesome and sad. Both are reunited and reunited. Hey, hey. Wow. Asif Manvi, man of many talents. Um, getting back to James for a moment. Uh, James, we, we also know that you have no tolerance whatsoever for things that you consider stupid stuff, and that's a pretty long list. Owning a home, going to college, uh, or owning even more than 15 items. So James Altucher, that's what we know. Tell us something we don't know about you. Well, uh, I read once that uh, Colonel Sanders from Kentucky Fried Chicken uh, he actually is an honorary colonel in the state of Kentucky. He's only an honorary colonel because he had this chicken place attached to a gas station. The governor loved the chicken so much, he made him an honorary colonel, and then he became Colonel Sanders forever after after that. So I wanted to be an honorary colonel also. So I wrote the governor. I was 10 years old. And they wrote back, and there was, you had to get three recommendations. You had to get all, sign all these forms. I didn't know what to do. So I wrote about this experience about a year or so ago, and some of my readers uh, w knew the governor at the time, and th the governor actually made me an honorary colonel of Kentucky. So now I and Colonel Sanders and Muhammad Ali and Elvis Presley are all honorary colonels of Kentucky. Congratulations, yeah. Colonel Altucher. 
Thank you very much for being here, James. We're very, very pleased you could make it. Next up, Mickey Agrawal. Let's see what we know about you. You have been an investment banker, a professional soccer player, a restaurateur, and you're the founder of Thinks. That's with an X, a company that makes the only period-proof panties in the world, all true so far? Well, not the only, but the best. So, Mickey, you have been described as the taboo queen for the nether regions with other projects, including incontinence panties and a low-cost bidet, so that collectively your business covers the three Ps, periods, pee, and poop. We know you grew up in Montreal with half Japanese and half Indian heritage, and that for your entire childhood... You went to school seven days a week, French school on weekdays, Japanese school on Saturdays, and Hindi on Sundays. All right, so Mickey, that's what we know about you. Tell us something we don't yet know about you. Um, my first, I guess, thing that I ever created and, or invented with my twin sister was a digital slot machine. Um, in ninth grade, we had to do a science fair project, and we built a digital slot machine. And of course, at like two o'clock in the morning, the day before the science fair, it wasn't working. And so we would like press the thing and it would go through the whole breadboard and then resistors and transistors and through the, like the lights and the whole thing. And then it would just didn't work. And our dad spent the whole night troubleshooting it and, and figured it out. And how'd you do? You competed? You we, we, we placed first. Way yeah. to go. And our final panelist tonight, Asif Manvi. We know that you, sir, are a former Daily Show correspondent who can now be seen on the Netflix show, A Series of Unfortunate Events. We know that you created and star in the Peabody award-winning web series, Halal in the Family, which is excellent. We know that your dad moved the family from England to America because the U.S. has brunch? Yeah. That was the... (laughs) Seems reasonable, right? Yeah, yeah. He came to America, and somebody took him out for brunch, and he thought it was a third meal between breakfast and lunch. He was like, we're moving here. That's it. (laughs) Why don't you, keeping in mind tonight's theme, stupid stuff, tell us something we don't know about you, Asif? Um, So when I was in college in Florida, I... uh, I decided I wanted to make some money, and my dad had a friend who had imported all these sweaters, so he um, employed me, and he said, you know, for every sweater, they're like, you know, $15 for each sweater or whatever. He's like, I'll give you like five bucks. And so I was like, great. The only thing was that the sweaters were leather, and they were like crocheted leather strips. So in Florida, in July... It's like 102 degrees, and I'm selling leather sweaters. So people would buy them because this is really novel, you know, and they would buy them and take them home, and then they were like, well, how do I wash this? And some people, like, put it in the washing machine and came back, and it was like a miniature leather sweater. So then they would return them all. I I worked an entire weekend selling these sweaters, and then the following weekend, mostly got all the sweaters back (laughs) from the people I'd sold the first weekend. Well, I'm glad for our purposes that you didn't turn into, like, a great sweater salesman because we wouldn't have you here tonight. (laughs) So thanks to all of you for being here. It's time to play our game, Tell Me Something I Don't Know. So let me tell you how it works. A series of contestants will come on stage and deliver their ID case. And once we've heard from all the contestants, you will pick a winner. Now, we ask you to judge their IDKs on three simple criteria. Number one, does it surprise you? Is it something you truly did not know? Number two, is it worth knowing? And number three, is their IDK demonstrably true? Now, to help with that demonstrably true part, would you please welcome our real-time fact-checker? He can even check alternative facts, <laughs> Mr. Sean Ramosferm. Sean is a producer at WNYC Studios and a contributor to the podcast More Perfect about the Supreme Court. Sean, what makes you think you're up for fact-checking a whole night of stupid stuff? Just like a lifetime of doing really stupid stuff. Has it continued into adulthood? Like my parents' favorite story to tell about me. uh, Like the first time I ever went to a park, I wanted to climb up the biggest thing, which was a slide. Climbed up the ladder, the, the steel ladder to the top of the slide. Had no idea what to do. After that, so I just jumped back down the ladder and hit my forehead on every steel step. I think that is a great credential for uh, stupid stuff. So uh, thank you for being here, Sean. It's time now to play tonight's theme. Remember, stupid stuff, things that don't work as well as they should, ideas that should have been killed off long ago, you name it. All right, let's welcome our first contestant, 
Vijay Chakravarti. Hey, Vijay, why don't you tell us what you do? Hi, um, I am an industrial designer, and I love creating beautiful, meaningful, human-centered products and solutions. I am also the chair of the Industrial Designer Society of America, the New York City chapter. Okay, so I'm guessing you run into stupid stuff all the time. I'm ready to hear what you have. So are our panelists, James Altucher, Mickey Agrawal, and Asif Manvi. So what do you know, Vijay, that's worth knowing that you think we don't know? Hmm, so this household appliance injures about 3,600 people every year. Could you guess what it is? Does it have microwaves coming out of it? No, it doesn't. Ironing board. Board? You're thinking the board more than the iron, Mickey? The iron. Oh, I mean the iron. The iron. (laughs) (laughs) Is it a non-electronic thing? Toasters hurt me. So I'm bad with toasters. What do you mean by that, James? Toasters hurt you. touch the thing and there's already a Pop-Tart in it and it burns your hand. (laughs) Ask the audience, what do you guys think? Can opener. Garbage disposal. Can opener. Someone's really intent on can opener there. (laughs) Is it an appliance that's perhaps being used for a purpose other than its intended purpose? Well, as far as I know, people seem to be using it for what it's meant to be, yeah. Is it a kitchen appliance? Yes, it is. Is it Uh, stove in the stove area? No, cupboard. Something that falls out of the cupboard. Is it a uh, fork? <laughs> dishwasher. Dishwasher. Somebody got it right. It's a dishwasher? Yeah, yeah it's a dishwasher. How does the dishwasher hurt Yeah, us? dishwashers are terribly designed. Um, <laughs> I didn't realize it was such a problem until I, I went to graduate school. Um, <laughs> so, All so that get, money just to know that fact. So, so we, were, we were given this problem come up with something new and novel that's never been seen before in the kitchen. Uh, so as a designer, I kind of went out, you know, started researching, looked at how people would use their kitchens and utensils. Um, my research revealed two insights. One, there's the under-sink area that is gross and underutilized. Right? And then there's this dishwasher that's kind of a back-breaking task to load and unload the dishwasher. And next, an open dishwasher can be a hazard. You, know, you can trip over it for one, right? And, and, then, and then during research, I spoke to this couple who kind of panicked for a bit when they couldn't find their baby. Eventually, they found him playing in the open dishwasher. Did this you put out a thing, if you have injured yourself with a dishwasher, please contact I did, I did, me at yeah. this number? I actually did, yeah. You did? Yeah. And 3,600 people contacted you? Well, about 55 people did. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, so but it was yeah. suitably dangerous for you to yeah. want to redesign it, and have you redesigned it? Yeah, so I kind of have a solution to propose that kind of solves both the undersink problem and the back-breaking loading problem. Um, so it's two sinks side by side with the dishwashing system underneath each of them. So to open the dishwasher, you press a button and then pull up the handle so that it comes over the counter. And now you can load and unload your dishes. And it goes back down to wash. Right? Mm-hmm. Like an so, industrial one. Yeah, so it's like a sink and dishwasher that's one unit. No tripping, a fairly efficient kitchen overall, and very importantly, no missing babies. <laughs> okay, see me after the show, I'll write you a check, and we'll work out a deal. <laughs> hey, can I ask you another thing that I think is stupid about dishwashers? They take so long. Yeah. So our dishwasher takes two hours, and then I know at a restaurant, Mickey, you've run restaurants, don't you guys have like these three-minute dishwashers for glasses and stuff? They're super high heat and just blast it with boiling hot water and then it's done. It's a hazard. Oh. Yeah. Imagine so it's, it's 3,600 with this kind of dish. I know. I know. <laughs> that baby would be dead. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Before we finish up with Vijay, let's check in with you, our fact checker. Sean, uh, is the dishwasher generally as stupid as Vijay says? <laughs> the people who find out about dishwasher uh, injuries, I found out, it's the National Center for Biotechnology Information, a federal agency I didn't know existed until just now and probably won't exist by the end of the year. So, (laughs) Sean, I thank you. Panelists, listen, later you'll be asked to rank all our contestants and pick a winner, so you might want to jot down a few notes right now about Vijay's IDK. We'll call this one Dishwasher Suck. And Vijay, thank you so much for playing Tell Me Something I Don't Know. Great job. Thank you. 
Would you please welcome to the stage our next contestant, Beth Kobliner. Yeah. Okay, Beth, nice to have you. Tell us a bit about yourself, please. Uh, I wrote a New York Times best-selling book on personal finance. I was a member of President Obama's Advisory Council on Financial Literacy. I have a new book, Make Your Kid a Money Genius, Even If You're Not. And I taught Elmo about money on Sesame Street. Whoa. All right, Beth, what do you have for us tonight? So many parents make sure their kids brush their teeth, do their homework, and eat their vegetables. But what's the one thing parents are not insisting on enough these days? Masturbation. (laughs) Use it or lose it. Besides that. Flossing? No. And the implication is that it's a productive thing. Or is that, am I misreading the implication? No, it's definitely a productive Mm -hmm. thing. Basically, like a like a productive task that they're that uh-huh. they're not. Yep. Go outside and play. Dishwasher. No. <laughs> dishwasher. <laughs> That's actually warm. Do, do, doing oh, doing the dishes. Chores. You got uh, it. Uh, uh, ah. Chores. All right. Household chores. Too many parents don't make their kids do household chores. Doesn't sound like a big deal. You know, they have surveys, and parents say they're three times more likely to do chores. Um, than they are to make their own kids do chores. So you're saying it is stupid to make them do chores? Well, here's the thing. it's stupid to not? It's unbelievably stupid not to have your kids do chores because doing chores actually is a predictor of success in life. There was a study at University of uh, Minnesota, and they found that it was a predictor of, first, first off, getting a degree or getting started in a career. One of the most common questions I'm asked is, should I pay my kids for chores? And the answer is no. Part of family chores is teaching responsibility. Um, and also, you don't want to negotiate with your kid all the time, like pick up your dirty socks, I'll you know, give you $5. Or your kid says it's not worth it, so I'm not going to pick up my socks for $5. Um, I think the big point is separate allowance from chores. Uh, and uh, by the way, I think while parents are not stressing out about chores or stressing it enough to their kids, they are stressing out weirdly about allowance. What are they stressing oh. about? Allow, I, I meet so many parents who say, oh, yeah, I'm a bad parent financially. I started an allowance system in January, and then February or March, we stopped it, and our kids didn't ask us, and we didn't give our money. And there's sort of this financial anxiety about giving money to kids. And that, too, is stupid. That, too, Everything is very you said stupid. Is stupid. Well, I mean, the things yeah. that you've identified. <laughs> Thank are, you, Stephen. Thank you. The, the behaviors you've identified, I mean, are stupid. Right. But what's interesting is that um, I actually looked at two dozen research studies on allowance. And I found that basically, whether it's in Canada or England, the bottom line is giving allowance doesn't really matter. The most important thing is being consistent with your kids, not flip-flopping on, oh, you have to pay for your jeans or you have to pay for your Lego set, and then giving in you know, after a couple of weeks and saying, all right, I'll buy it for you. Asif, did you get an allowance as a kid, or did you just have no, to sell those no, leather sweaters? I I, these must be white parents, because Indian <laughs> parents would be like, you, you clean the table, I give you one smack. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Like, there's no money for anything. What about uh, money for grades? That is interesting, that half of parents say they actually bribe their kids for grades. I was shocked by this. What um, this amazing um, uh, economist, Roland Fryer, at Harvard showed that actually it doesn't work. If you say to a kid, I'm going to bribe you basically for an A, um, it, it doesn't work. But if you say, well, maybe, you know, do your homework, giving them a concrete task, could, you know, help them, encourage them. Why do most parents not really teach their kids about money and budgeting and things like that? I think they're terrified themselves. Parents are absolutely fearful that, first of all, they don't know enough to teach their kids, or they feel like, you know, what they'll tell them will be wrong. Sean, chores on the decline, Beth Kobliner's telling us, which is bad news because chores seem to have some good effect. What can you tell us, Sean? So, yeah, I found the same survey that says, that, you know, kids are doing less chores. But it seems like they're doing fewer chores because they're doing so much, like, extracurricular activity. Sunday school, Saturday school, so they're learning Mandarin. Um, but, like, another survey I found says um, chores teach kids to be more empathetic and responsive to other people's needs. Mm. But a Harvard psychologist asked 10,000 middle and high school students uh, what they thought was more important. 
uh, caring for others' needs or achievement, and 80% of them said achievement, unfortunately. But I'm scared of those kids. I hope I never meet them in like a job. (laughs) (laughs) Beth Kobliner, thank you so much for playing. Tell me something I don't know. Great job. And would you please welcome our next contestant, Craig Linoff. Come on, Craig. Craig, what do you do? Um, I am the VP of engineering for a company called Firsthand. Is your stupid stuff related to your work? It's not. All right. Um, (laughs) The U.S. Humane Society keeps track of statistics relevant to lots of things related to animal cruelty. Uh, There's one notable statistic they don't track, though. And so my question to you is what rural pastime purportedly harms or kills an untold number of one specific animal every year, but still remains completely absent from the uh, Humane Society's databases. Having sex with animals. Cow tipping. (laughs) (laughs) It's correct. It's cow tipping. What? Cow tipping. Wow. Nicely done. Unbelievable. It's just a fun teenage pastime. (laughs) Now, wait a minute. If I understand correctly, Craig, you were saying uh, what activity... Uh, does not show up in the data. Well, could I get like maybe a show of hands? Who knows somebody that's gone cow tipping? There's a, so I, oh, oh my goodness, like we're in New York City. In the so audience, yeah. Is anybody here gone cow tipping themselves? Five percent in the audience claims to have personally tipped cows. The question is, why isn't this tracked? That's exactly right, because cow tipping doesn't exist. <gasps> what? No. Uh, it's not a real thing. Uh, at least I think not the way we think of it as being a real thing. So. For one thing, cows don't sleep standing up, which is kind of the foundational myth of cow tipping. Like, you can't sneak up on a cow and knock it over if it's already laying down. Um, And for another, cow tipping is physically impossible to do. Think about it, a cow weighs about 1,500 pounds. (laughs) And according to a 2005 study from the University of British Columbia, it would take about the force of two strong men, like, right up next to a cow pushing with all their might at the optimal uh, angle on the animal to get it to fall over. And that's if the cow didn't, like, know that you were so there. So you think people are, everyone so who so said, wait, everyone's lying about so cow So who tipping? were the people who said they went cow yeah. <laughs> So are you, are you telling us uh, that cow tipping as we know it is, is totally not real? It's really hard to get them over. You can't sneak up on a cow they're remarkably attentive. Like, if a cow hears anything, they're going to get really wary. They're going to start walking away, and it, they'll, they're obviously going to be bracing for it. So they calculated that if you have a cow that's, like, aware of your presence, you need five, six people easy to get it to fall over on its side. Um, and if you need any more evidence, there is not a single photo or video that I could find on the Internet of uh, a cow tipping actually occurring. Challenge accepted. <laughs> So I, I, Why are people lying about it then? Well, that's the interesting thing to me. Uh, I mean, people believe what they want to believe, and I think that people do go cow tipping, and uh, maybe they don't get the cow actually over. And which then is, you go back and brag to your friends. Like, this is the real interesting thing, is that, and what I get in arguments with people about, because I've had a few people in my office who have claimed outright, I have tipped a cow. Uh, but under scrutiny, and I always give them scrutiny, <laughs> but under scrutiny, these stories, like, it's weird how they, they fall don't apart. And we had an intern at my company who said that uh, she cow tipped. I asked her, like, what, what, can you describe physically what she did? And she said, well, I just went up and I, and I touched it. So, I mean, the story ended up being that she once petted a cow as a child. <laughs> Sean. It is a challenge that you've accepted. Cow yeah. tipping. What do you know? I'm just going to warn future, tell me something I don't know, contestants to never say there's not a photo of something on the internet because okay. I, I think that's a picture of a tipped cow on the internet. Uh, that's a picture of a cow on its side and people around it. Uh, there's, there's... <laughs> <laughs> Boom. How about that one? How about There's a slideshow. I have several photos. Okay. How many people are in that photo? Like four, and they're using rope for the kids at home who want to go okay. tip. Well, rope that's is a little so different. That's called cow capturing. I think that's not actually... cow tipping. That's a capturing for sure. Um, but it does seem to be mostly like urban legend that you you can tip a cow. It, it is hard, and I think it was mostly perpetuated by the movie Tommy Boy with Chris Farley. So, Craig Linoff, thank you so much for playing. Tell me something I don't know. 
It is time now for a quick break. When we return, more contestants, and we make our panelists tell us something we don't know. If you would like to be a contestant on a future show or attend a future show, please visit tmsidk.com. We will be right back. Welcome back to Tell Me Something I Don't Know. My name is Stephen Dubner. Our panelist tonight, James Altucher, Mickey Agarwal, and Asif Manvi. Our fact checker is Sean Ramosvaram. Tonight's theme, you will recall, is stupid stuff. Now, to that end, earlier we asked our live audience the following question. What is the stupidest thing you encounter on a regular basis, and what's so stupid about it? Panelists, I'd love each of you, if you don't mind, to read one of these replies. Asif, you want to take it first? Um, slow walkers. How do you feel about the slow walking in New York? Is it an issue for you? I, I don't. I don't I, think I, anybody I don't, walks slow. In I New don't York. think. I mean, I just. Yeah, I just usually just walk over, over people. Yeah. <laughs> Mickey, uh, read us something from the audience, please. This is from Alicia G, and she says fire trucks because they should be called water trucks. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that is Alicia G has a point. She's she's got not a lot to do. <laughs> a lot of time on her hands. Um I like that though. I think that's kind of one of those word things that I love. Yeah, cuz not only not only could it put out fires, but it could solve thirst. Uh, so you, you see right. a water truck passing, water. oh, I want some water. water. It's kind well, of like the is, ice cream is, trucks with the, the sound. I love the ice cream. That is the problem, truck. right? If you if you call it a water truck, then people will flag it down uh. and be like, "I'm a little parched." James Altucher, you have something from an audience member there? Yeah, an audience member thinks kids on a leash are stupid because they're kids. Uh, I have two kids. I don't think it's such a bad idea to have kids mm-hmm. on a leash. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm four and, and a half months pregnant. Should we get you a leash as a uh, baby present then? Yeah, I'll I'll take a leash. All right, I think it is time to get back to our game. Would you please welcome our next contestant, Benjamin Eli, whom I'm told goes by just Eli. (laughs) Eli, is that right? You're a one-name man? Yeah, exactly. I'm like Madonna. Um, I'm also a uh, doctoral candidate in neuroscience. I'm researching uh, ways to improve MRI signals from small brain regions that are involved in depression. All right, Eli, uh, eager to hear what you have. The floor is yours. Thanks. Um, One way of comparing the stupidity of different activities is based on how likely they are to kill you. Uh, Specifically, there's this unit called a micromort, which uh, equates to a one in a million chance of dying. Um, So the more dangerous an activity, the higher its micromort score. Uh, for example, most people think of skydiving as fairly risky, and that weighs in at uh, nine micromorts, so about nine times in a million you'd expect to die from skydiving. Uh, hang gliding is marginally safer, that's eight micromorts. Uh, you might be surprised to learn that running a marathon is almost as risky at seven micromorts, so statistically you'd be smarter to take up scuba diving, that's five micromorts per dive. Uh, but what activity, aside from deliberately harmful ones, uh, do you think has the highest stupidity rating when measured in micromorts? Bungee jumping. An outdoor activity or an indoor activity? Uh, it's outdoor. Bungee jumping's high. It's like kind of on par with uh, skydiving. Mountain climbing? Yeah, bingo. Wow. Is that right? Yeah, mountain climbing is wicked dangerous. Um, yeah, by far the most dangerous hobby I could find was mountain climbing. Um, even popular peaks like uh, Mount Rainier over in Washington clock in at over 300 micromorts per attempt. And uh, Mount Everest scores a terrifying 40,000 micromorts, uh, which is to say about a 1 in 25 chance of dying. Um, so you'd be better off jumping out of a plane 4,000 times. This is one of, my, um, one of my besties who actually died climbing Mount Everest oh, um, yeah. at the, in the Nepal earthquake last year. It's a, it's a high percentage. Yeah, sorry to hear that. Yeah. I'm so curious about what drives people to embrace that kind of risk. They just want to get to the top. It's yeah. a, it's Mountaineering is a is sort of like, it's that rush. What's the worst indoor activity? Uh, I, raving, I think, actually weighed in fairly oh. heavy. It was like raving. 10 or so, uh, basically because of drugs. Yeah. So you like, it's a neat name, the Micromort, right, and what yeah. it's measuring is interesting, but isn't this basically what you know insurance actuaries have been measuring for a couple centuries, or is it different Yeah, it's, it's 
a way of trying to just compare across uh, different activities. So it works best ah. for like acute things. Um, so yeah, there are different ways you could phrase the stats. It's just like a kind of handy metric uh, to compare kind of apples and poisoned apples. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Sean Ramosfer, I'm using micromorts as a measure of stupidity or a measure of engaging in activities that are, that are inherently very risky. Anything to add to that? The inventor of the micromort won Ron Howard. But right. not, not that Ron Howard. Not that one, Wouldn't yeah. that be amazing, though, wow. if it was the same Ron Howard? This Ron Howard's 81 and probably thinking about micromorts more than he ever has. In researching this, I learned that your, uh, your risk of dying in a given year uh, doubles every eight years, approximately. That's some kind of... What about in a room full of 200 people, h- how many will die within the next month on and which average? Ones? Oh, okay, okay. Yes, yeah, so in the U.S., uh, the annual rate is uh, 8,000, so you have like a 0.8% chance of dying in a given year, kind of collapsing across all adults. But yeah, that'll kind of, that'll go up over time. Two people in this room will probably die within the next year. Well, some of what this maybe misses is um, kind of the opportunity cost of not doing exercises or other kind of activities. So the kind of person who goes mountain climbing is probably lower incidence of maybe like obesity or uh, cardiac arrest from other things. Eli, thank you so much for playing Tell Me Something I Don't Know. And would you please welcome our final contestant of the evening, Mr. Bruce Watson. Hey, Bruce, what's your story? I'm a freelance writer and editor in Queens, New York. Very good. Tell us something, please, we don't know about stupid stuff. During the Spanish-American War in the late 1800s, more soldiers died from food poisoning than from enemy bullets. Their food wasn't just spoiled. It was also filled with dangerous preservatives like borax and formaldehyde. Back then, U.S. companies added all kinds of chemicals to food without any thought about their safety. In fact, the government didn't regulate food additives at all until a guy named Harvey Washington Wiley came along. He was the head of the government's Bureau of Chemistry, and to study the chemicals added to food, he created a division that was later called the Poison Squad. So my question is this. How did the Poison Squad test these mysterious food additives? Mice. Prisoners. No, no. Dark stuff. Awesome. When in doubt, Th- go with themselves. prisoners. That's actually right. What? Whoa. Wow. Whoa. Look at that. Look at you. Nicely done. Asif Takes Hamdi, well done. a stupid brain. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is that the squad members um, actually ate them. And the squad, which was composed of 12 male civil servants had to all take their meals in the Department of Agriculture's basement kitchen. Every day, Wiley added more chemicals to their food until they developed crippling nausea, headaches, weight loss, or otherwise couldn't function. When they tested formaldehyde, most of the squad ended up sick in bed. In 1906, Congress passed the Pure Food and Drug Act, which regulated food safety. The trials had accomplished their goal, so Wiley stopped them the next year. Ultimately, this led to the creation of the FDA, which still regulates the food industry and ensures that your milk doesn't come with a side order of formaldehyde. They were actually... (laughs) Poems and songs about the Poison Squad. And one of them went like this. On prussic acid, we break our fast. We lunch on a morphine stew. We dine with a matchhead consomme. Drink carbolic acid brew. Corrosive sublimate tones us up, like laudanum ketchup rare, while tyrotoxicant condiments are wholesome as mountain air. Thus all the deadlies we double dare to put us beneath the sod. We're death immunes and we're proud as proud. Hooray for the Poison Squad. Wow. Wow. I will take an order of that morphine stew, though. Right? <laughs> so, Bruce, it sounds like uh, the Poison Squad was proud of it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. M- for the most part. I'm just curious, what did a, a stint on the Poison Squad typically lead to? Because I'm guessing on a resume that looks pretty <laughs> interesting, yeah? Well, they all already had jobs. And so the big deal with it was that you got all your meals for free. One of them was a Yale sprinter. Um, one of them had been head of like this civic society in high school. They all had passed the civil servants test, which is not an easy task. There was a definite esprit de corps with it. I wonder where working on the Poison Squad rates on the micromort <laughs> meter. The last one to die died in the 1980s, and he was in his 90s. Wow. That's all good. those preservatives actually worked. Oh, yeah, so. yeah. Well, the other side of it was, and this is how Wiley looked at it, everybody's eating these poisons. So what we're doing is we're feeding these guys pure food, you know, the purest food you can get, 
and just adding some borax. (laughs) (laughs) Sean Ramosverum, the Poison Squad. Bruce has been telling us about eating their own poison. Anything to add? Does it check out? Yeah, it's a precursor to the uh, FDA. It looks like it almost didn't happen, though. This Dr. Harvey Washington Wiley guy was going to be the president of Purdue University, but apparently he was passed over because he was too young and jovial, unorthodox in his religious beliefs, and also a bachelor. And I feel like... Yeah, it's probably easy to be like young, jovial, and unorthodox in your religious belief when you're, you're not the one who has to eat the poison beef, right? <laughs> he also played baseball with his students, which was regarded as being a little bit wild, and he rode a bicycle, and people described him as looking like a monkey on top of a cartwheel. <laughs> so it, it, it was a little wild. I miss the days where riding a bike and playing baseball with some students was like, too wild to be a leader. You know, it's a little, little crazy, exactly. Excellent. Bruce Watson, thank you so much for telling us something we didn't know about intentionally eating poison. And that concludes tonight our round of audience contestants. There's great stuff tonight. Let's give them all one more round of applause, please. It is time now for the panelists to vote. They're going to use a ranked voting system to pick their favorites, and the contestant with the highest overall ranking will be tonight's winner, who will join us back on stage later. Who will it be? Bruce Watson with The Poison Squad, Benjamin Eli with Micromorts, Craig Linoff with Cow Tipping Is Not Real, Beth Kobliner with Chore Doing or Child Labor, I guess we'll call it, or Vijay Chakravarti with Dishwashers Suck. While the votes are being cast, let me say this. If you enjoy Tell Me Something I Don't Know, please spread the word. Give it a nice rating on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to tell me something I don't know, or if you want to see the show taped live in New York, Chicago, Minneapolis, or Philly, just go to tmsidk.com. On social media, we're at tmsidk underscore show. All right, the panelists' votes are in. Once again, thanks so much to all our contestants. Sadly, there can be only one winner, but tonight, the one winner is, with his IDK, that cow tipping is not real, Craig Linoff. Yeah. Now, Craig, to acknowledge your accomplishment, we'd like to present you with this certificate of impressive knowledge, which is suitable for framing. You'll also join us back on stage later to face one of our panelists in the final round of Tell Me Something I Don't Know. Now, which panelist will you face? That's what we are about to determine. So panelists, now it's time for each of you to tell us something we don't know about tonight's theme, stupid stuff. This is what we call the reference round. Tonight, we have a special treat. Many inventors, as we all know, are inspired by trying to come up with a smart solution to a stupid problem. The reference material we're giving each panelist tonight is one week's worth of patents recently granted by the United States Patent and Trademark Office. So we're going to give you each a minute to find a good IDK. So James, Mickey, and Asif, have fun reading. Get ready to tell us something we don't know. When we return... We'll hear what they came up with. Our live audience will pick a winner, and that winner goes head-to-head with our audience winner in the final round of Tell Me Something I Don't Know. Welcome back. It's time for our panelists, James Altucher, Mickey Agrawal, and Asif Manvi, to tell us something we don't know about stupid stuff based on having spent a couple minutes with a stack of recent U.S. patents. Let's hear first from James Altucher. What'd you find, James? Well, I didn't like any of these patents that I saw here, but I have an invention that I want to make, so tell me if you think it's good or not. So I am blessed to have two daughters who are both into theater, but no sane adult would go to like 30 theater shows in a row put on by 12-year-olds because none of them are good. So what I need is glasses that pretend to show my eyes while I sleep, and then I get some kind of speech recognition to like give me a little shock whenever my kid comes on the stage. So daughter recognition sleep-faking glasses. Excellent. Mickey, Agarol, what'd you come up with? Real, imaginary? Well, um, I was going to go with this one here. 
which was this infant garment with teething toes. But instead, I'm going to talk about my own patent that was actually filed, and we just got um, our utility patents and our design patents on it. So I'm going to share what it is. Um, this is, you know, a, a smart solution to a stupid problem. It's not a stupid invention. Just putting it out there. Um, do you know the tampon was invented in 1931 by a man? Yeah. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> and did you also know that those plastic tampon applicators that you just, you know, you enter one in, like inject it in, and that thing goes in the trash, seven billion of them end up in a landfill every single year. So the invention that we've made is simply a reusable tampon applicator made with medical-grade silicone. So the same material made that you put uh, a menstrual cup inside of yourself for 12 hours, but instead it's just, it just looks like a beautiful black lipstick in your purse. You take it off, you put a little, drop a little tampon, like an OB-style tampon, and you insert it, and then this comes out, washes out, and goes back in your purse like a little mm-hmm. lipstick. So, so that's my invention. Congratulations. I'm learning so much right now. <laughs> Do you have a name for it that you can it's say called, yet? It's called the Rita, the reusable tampon applicator. Word. Nicely done, Mickey. So we've had a, a fake uh, invention that doesn't yet exist, <laughs> a real invention that was filed not by someone in the book, but by the actual person on the stage. Asif? I'm going to go with one in the book. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning you haven't invented anything lately that you're proud of. I haven't invented anything. What about the leather sweaters? <laughs> this is called, this I thought was funny. It's called the insect blowing and suction system. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it sort of looks like a go-kart, including at least two tangential blowers, each creating an airstream at a suitable angle relative to the ground, but in opposite directions to each other. The two airstreams combine and are diverted up with them by lifting insects upward. The upward air velocity is increased by at least one upper and axial blower that sucks the air from the housing. So basically, it's a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> that looks like a go We're much more complicated uh. and only works on insects. <laughs> Uh, it's time now for our live audience to vote for the best IDK from our panelist, James Altucher, with uh, a, a would-be speech recognition sleep-faking pair of eyeglasses for people who hate children's theater. Mickey Agrawal with a reusable tampon applicator that is real and that she personally invented. And Asif Manvi with an insect-blowing and suction system that looks like a go-kart. <laughs> So, uh, audience, would you please follow the texting instructions on the screen, and we are going to pick a winner. All right, the live voting has closed. The audience votes have been tallied. This is the closest it's ever been, um, with 45% of the vote versus 44% of the vote. And the winner is... Asif Manvi's insect sucking vacuum machine. Congratulations. So, Asif, you will now play our quick final round of Tell Me Something I Don't Know, competing against tonight's audience winner, which you remember was Craig Linoff, who told yes. us that cow tipping is not real. Craig, why don't you come on back on stage? All right, now here's how the final round works. In a moment, we will reveal a topic related somehow to tonight's theme, Stupid Stuff, and the two of you will then have to come up with an IDK on the spot using zero research materials other than your own brain. So on the slim chance that you might just make something up, remember our fact-checker, Sean Ramosferm, standing by. (laughs) Now, what is our final topic? Well, some people might argue that if you do stupid stuff but no one finds out, then it's not really that stupid, that it's the getting caught that's really stupid, right? So that's our final topic tonight, getting caught. Good luck, have fun. We'll give you a minute to come up with something good. While our finalists are thinking, let me remind you to visit tmsidk.com to get tickets to upcoming shows or to be a contestant. If you'd like to suggest a theme for a future episode or recommend a panelist, give us a shout on Facebook or Twitter. We go by TMSIDK underscore show. Okay, Asif and Craig, it's time. Tell us something we don't know about getting caught. Asif Manvi, you first. What do you got? All right, so I got caught masturbating by my roommate one time. At what stage of the act? I I was in bed. 
Yeah. With a blanket. Yeah. Um, the elegant way of doing the it. The elegant way of doing it. And I did not, I did not take my shoes and socks off. And I had my pants around my ankles. So when she walked in... Oh, 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 you buried the lead there, friend. She, she said, hey, by the way, there's not enough milk in the... Oh. <laughs> and I tried to act the whole time like I was just taking a nap. <laughs> but I forgot that the blanket was not covering the fact that I had my shoes and my pants and my socks on. When doing that, remember to take off your shoes and socks <laughs> and your pants. <laughs> so, uh, Craig Lineoff, you were in the uh, rather unenviable position of uh, topping uh, that story. What can you tell us? Well, back before my operation, I once caught my roommate, Asif Manvi Masturbate. <laughs> <laughs> Same shoes. I have another personal story. It's not so personal. (laughs) But uh, back when I was in high school, uh, I had two good friends, uh, Dan and Matt. And there was one summer where Matt picked up one of those water balloon slingshots. And so uh, we'd recently gotten in the habit of, uh, like, making ourselves, uh, like, refreshing fruit smoothies. And uh, we got the idea that maybe we could uh, fill up uh, a water balloon with a fruit smoothie and then send it to the neighbors. And so we launched a balloon, uh, and it just, like, sailed through the sky, a solid, like, five seconds in air. And then it splashed, and uh, immediately, like, there was, the children were laughing, and the laughter just stopped. And then we all three froze. And uh, we're sitting there for a moment, not wondering, like, whether we just killed a child with a water balloon or what. We run inside the house, and we're discussing, like, plans about how we're going to get out of this, like, if they were able to identify who did this. But I looked out the window, and I saw, like, right there in the middle of the lawn was the water balloon slingshot and, like, a bag of water balloons, <laughs> like, conspicuously waiting. And so I was like, I got to go out and get the slingshot. So I go out, and I just hear this voice go, hey, hey, you. And I turn, and it's the guy from the place, and his kids are with him. And he's like, hey, you could have killed my kids. And I'm like, I'm aware, sir. I'm sorry. And he goes, were there other guys here? And I was like, yeah, yeah, they went inside. And he's like, yeah, they're a couple of cowards, aren't they? And I was like, they, they are, sir. <laughs> so he hops over the fence to get into Matt's backyard, walks right up into Matt's house, and I just hear him go, what are their names? And I'm like, it's Matt and Dan. <laughs> and he goes, all right, Matt, Dan, get down here. And then he just, like, reamed out my friends inside his house. Well, I stood by with his two children. <laughs> I was just like, so your dad's a bit of a madman, huh? Sean, Sean, do you think Mr. Google is going to tell you anything about these two incidents? <laughs> when you Google uh, uh, us about me masturbating, something actually comes up. Wow. There's, a, there's actually a really great story about something called Don't Jerk and Drive. Maybe you remember. It's a story you did for The Daily Show, oh, for apparently. The Daily Show, yeah. About people who masturbate about while driving. About people who masturbate while driving. Which is a thing in South Dakota, apparently, and maybe elsewhere. Yeah, it's a thing. So, yeah, apparently it's an epidemic in <laughs> South Dakota. It is time for our live audience to pick a winner for tonight's show. Remember, of course, the criteria. Was it something you did not know? Was it something worth knowing? And was it demonstrably true? So let's first hear what you thought of. I guess we'll call this one uh, Masturbatus Interruptus from Asif Manvi. Let's hear for that one. That is a strong response. And now Craig Lineoff and the smoothie balloon firing. Oh. 
Craig, I believe that sounds like you are our winner. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Now, what prize could we possibly give you that's commensurate to what you've brought to our stage tonight? Do you remember back at the top of the show when we heard how the NBA star Jeremy Lin was initially overlooked because of how he looked? People have a stereotype in their heads of an athletic NBA player, and it does not include Asianness. And when they actually measured his athleticism, he was off the charts. Now, Jeremy Lin had the good fortune to be incredibly athletic, which makes him good at basketball. Craig, what if you're not athletic and you still want to be good at basketball? Well, that's why we got you the brand new Evo One basketball, which has an implanted microsensor that measures the motion of your every shot. Congratulations, Craig. Great job tonight. And that is our show for tonight. I hope we told you something you didn't know about stupid stuff. Thanks so much to tonight's panelists, James Altucher, Mickey Agrawal, and Asif Manbi, to our fact checker, Sean Ramosferam, to all our awesome contestants, and thanks especially to you for coming to play Tell Me Something. Coming up next time on Tell Me Something I Don't Know, the theme is money, money, money. The panelists are the writer and filmmaker Brian Koppelman, co-creator of the hit Showtime series Billions, also the social entrepreneur Cheryl Dorsey of Echoing Green, and the awesome comedian Hari Kondabolu. It sounds like it's best not to get married, and if you're in a marriage, don't get out of it. Just drag you and your partner through a unfulfilling union and you'll make more money (laughs) it's next time on tell me something i don't know tell me something i don't know is produced by dubner productions in association with stitcher our staff includes allison hockenberry emma morgenstern harry huggins brian gutierrez dan dezula andrew dunn and rachel jacobs david herman is our technical director he also composed our theme music Thanks also to our good friends at Qualtrics, whose online survey software has been so helpful in putting on this show. You can subscribe to Tell Me Something I Don't Know on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts, or you can listen at tmsidk.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for listening. <laughs>